Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Discuss with Meg Duke. I am Meg Duke, of course, and today I'm elated to have our guest with us, Kate Cleveland. Kate is a lover, eternal optimist, and habitual overthinker, a woman after my own heart. Her titles include wife, mother to a two-year-old son, doctor of physical therapy, and postpartum doula. She received her postpartum doula certification from the Doula Training International and a doctor of physical therapy degree from Emory University in 2011. She is a certified pregnancy and postpartum corrective exercise specialist, which I'm very excited to talk more about. Um, She provides compassionate, personalized, evidence-based support for families as they transition into parenthood. She offers physical therapy services for both mother and baby, matrescence coaching to help mamas thrive in their new identities, and postpartum doula services. She supports mothers during their pregnancies, helps them prepare for birth, and support them in their recovery. She practices in Houston, Texas, but can see coaching clients worldwide, and her practice is inclusive and LGBTQ plus affirming. Kate, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Delighted. I am so excited. So the first question I'm going to ask is how do we know each other? Yeah, well, we met virtually last week and Mm -hmm. um, neither one of us could actually remember how we got connected. So yes, yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take all the blame for that because somebody told me to reach out to you and said like, Hey, reach out to Kate. She's working in the same space. And, da, da, da. and I actually went through my text threads. I went through my Facebook um, professional page. I tried to find it. I cannot find the person. So whoever is listening, thank you. And also please shoot me a text because I'd like to let Kate know how, um, how we got to know each other. So, um, but yeah, what a wonderful blessing to have so many people who are willing to, to chat and collaborate with us that it can get lost. Right. Yes. Yes. I definitely love this motherhood community virtually worldwide in the birth space, because I feel like everyone is very collaborative and wants to community build. That's definitely something we have in common. Yes. I, I love that. I actually did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about building an abundance mindset. And instead of thinking of it as scarcity of like, well, if you're my client, then if you take this client, then I don't get that client. And obviously that doesn't work for us because we don't do the same thing. We can, we can share clients, but I think it's really great when even like mutual therapists are able to just be like, look, we're all trying to help people. We're all trying to support parents. We're all trying to get through this crazy thing we call life. How can we support each other and being the best professionals possible? How can we support each other from a place, uh, from a professional place, but also personally, because it's, you know, it's, it's a tough, but rewarding industry that we've chosen. Um, so yeah, so I'm, it's, it's really great to be able to have that space. Yes, I agree. And I love that too, because I always say there is no competition. There's enough to go around. Yes. So, I mean, there, you're going to find, you know, your perfect ideal clients. And, you know, if I meet someone and you're a better fit, I'm happy to share the love in the community for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, yes. Yeah, so I thought we would start out with a little, I'm such a nerd, um, defining the word because I don't, I know it's been interesting for me as I've, as I've begun niching into perinatal mental health that people are like, no one says perinatal. We don't know that. I'm like, right. But like the industry we're trying to get to be perinatal, it's not just postpartum. It's not just you popped out a baby, give me six weeks and then you're fine. It's, it's the whole spectrum of trying to get pregnant, of fertility issues, of being pregnant, of yes, of course, those six weeks right after, and then even further on perinatal specialties. Um, so, so in that regard, I think that's really important that I've been trying to let the, let the family know what that means, but I love matrescence, right? I don't, I remember you mentioned that last week and I was like, you know, that's something that I feel like I don't think a lot of people outside of the industry know either. Um, and so I was just going to do a quick little, if you've never heard the term, um, it's just defining, defined as the process of becoming a mother, physical, psychological, emotional, all of the changes that come on as you're beginning and, and within that period. And I was also curious, obviously your own thought, but I did want to just like pitch the, pitch the uh, definition out there. Yes. I love that you're highlighting this because I discovered this term actually on maternity leave mm-hmm. when I was Googling things. That, why did no one tell me 
all of the above. And I ran across Dr. Alexandra Sachs uh, Mm -hmm. work Mm -hmm. and her TED talk. And so she actually introduced me to the matrescence term and it's actually a developmental, it's considered to be a developmental milestone now, Mm -hmm. I think in the industry, just similar to adolescence. Uh And so she, I, I actually ordered her book called what no one tells you. And it was really one of the things that saved me during those first, during the fourth trimester. So during the, the first three months of my yeah. son's life, I mm-hmm. read that book and I felt so seen and validated. And I was kind of angry, like, why does no one talk about this? And I made it my mission right then and there to start kind of sharing the things that people are too ashamed I think to talk about, mm-hmm. um, but that are important to share so that we can prepare the next generation of mothers. Um, because I really feel like knowledge is power and we don't have to share, you know, with a fear-based intention, we can share with love and with, um, in just encouragement and support. And yeah, that's kind of where the matrescence coaching idea began when I had like a, a two week old. And I was trying to navigate that transition. You know, I don't, I don't know myself. I don't know this new identity. I don't feel like myself. I went to my six week uh, checkup. And of course I was sobbing the whole time. So I hadn't slept in six weeks. And my OB asked me uh, if I had felt like myself. Mm. And I just started crying even more because I was like, I, I don't. And Mm. I thought I would, I just thought I would the same person and just have this adorable baby. And I feel like a completely different person with different capacity for things. Um, and I, two and a half years, almost three years later, I still don't feel like the person pre-baby. Right. And it turns out that's very common. It's just uh-huh. not talked about. And so that's where my coaching passion was really ignited. I, I really want to empower women to kind of discover their new identities and mm-hmm. the beauty in that. Mm, absolutely. I know it is interesting. I also have done another podcast episode already about motherhood and identity um, with a fellow clinical social worker. And we talked about, and she's also a mother herself. And we talked about that of like, do you feel like yourself? I mean, am I supposed to, am I supposed to feel like 23 year old single Meg who doesn't have children and like responsibilities and runs around New York and, you know, like, am I supposed to ever feel like that again? And is that a bad thing that I don't? And I think at the core, my soul at the core, getting back to feeling like myself. Yes, but not necessarily feeling like the same person. I think those are two different things that I don't necessarily know the best way to articulate that, but I do think that those are separate and you're right. Um, I wrote down, I'm going to put that in the show notes, what no one tells you. I'll make sure to add that as well as how people can contact you, which I will bother you about later. Um, but yeah. And I think the other thing that frustrates me in addition to what no one tells you, I liked how you mentioned of like hearing about it in a safe and and respectful way is the thing that drives me a little crazy is that people are always like, just wait. Like that's not helpful. It's can we all just not do that anymore? Absolutely. Like, I think, I think that those words should never be used unless it's like, Oh my gosh, my little one just rolled over. Oh my gosh, just wait till they set up. It's going to be, you know, like, okay, if you're saying it in a positive way, like, oh my gosh, they're babbling. Oh my gosh, just wait until they actually call you mama for the first, like, it's never in that vein. It is never in that energy. It's always like, oh, I wasn't walking into a business meeting and realized I had poop on myself. Oh, just wait until, you know, or it's Mm -hmm. like, or, oh, you know, this, my, my, we're in the four month sleep progression. Oh, just wait till they start teething. And it's like, Yes. I've, I've noticed a common thread with the, the women and the parents that do unintentionally fear monger. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the common thread seems to be that they typically did not hatch, suffer and struggle through perinatal mental health disorders mm-hmm. because it's kind of this um, sense of knowing when you uh-huh. meet another mom that also struggled with severe anxiety or even any type of anxiety, depression, you know, the psychosis, the hallucinations, like when you mm-hmm. get going down your experience with perinatal mental health during pregnancy and then postpartum or extreme sleep deprivation because mm-hmm. of a high needs baby or any type of challenges with right. leaking pelvic floor pain, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, postpartum infections, like any type of challenge that you've encountered that makes bliss and newborn bliss mm-hmm. and enjoying snuggles seemingly impossible. Mm-hmm. If you meet someone that has encountered those those struggles, they will never say, right, just wait. They will say joy is coming. Right. Right. If you, because I, you know, after living through my experience with the sleep, sleep deprivation, extreme, like I couldn't sleep even when my baby was sleeping. Mm-hmm. And that, now I know that that's like the first indicator, like, okay, there's going to be some anxiety that's going to get worse here because mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep even when I have the chance. And so, um, yeah, just living through that experience, I, I know that I forgot what I was even, my, my, my brain just took me back to that experience, but yeah, Yeah. just living through that experience, I, I never tell moms, you know, just wait Yes, or it's going to, Oh, I I remember now. So (laughs) my, my experience is so tainted that I was like, maybe everyone goes through these horrific experiences. They just have so much shame surrounding it, that they don't feel comfortable sharing it. Mm -hmm. Society puts so much pressure on women to, to be perfect and to be enjoying every moment that they post all these beautiful snuggle pictures and, Oh, isn't this, you know, I just love being a mom. And I just, Oh, my, my two day old is my best friend. And I'm like, I don't feel that way. Like something is wrong with me because you start hearing, I don't feel this intense connection with my two day old. That's just eating and sleeping and pooping. Right. And yeah, newborns are boring. Okay. I'm going to, I hot take. I I don't enjoy the newborn phase. And so now I know, no, there actually are some people that don't struggle with perinatal mental health. There are some babies that come out and are good sleepers. Yes. And moms thrive in yes. that first mm-hmm. fourth trimester period. So there, there is a, a small subset of women that thrive yes. during the first three months. And, you know, I have people in my family that are thriving during that period. And it's glorious for me to see that, mm-hmm. but I, because this is what I do and I help the moms that feel like they're, they're drowning. Right my perspective is a little skewed. And so, yeah. So I, I just like to tell people like, yeah, you might get this dream angel baby and you might have this easy breezy postpartum recovery, but if Mm -hmm. you don't, let's put some people and some contacts on your speed dial so that you don't have to spend your energy researching. Absolutely. Well, and that's what you and I had talked about. So I'm training to do um, postpartum support international coordinator role, which is a volunteer position where literally it's not a crisis line. They are building one, which is amazing. Um, but it's like a, it's like a warm line of I'm feeling some kind of way. I don't even know what I need. I don't know what services are available. Let me call this number. And that person is someone who's going to be able to say, yes, let me hook you up with da-da-da and blah-blah-blah. And here are some services are available. Like, did people even know that physical therapy and matrescence went together and, and the fourth trimester and, and pregnancy and all of that? Like, some people don't even, wouldn't even contemplate that that's an issue. Um, I think some people definitely feel the need to suffer in silence. Like you said, with the shame and the pressure society puts on, especially with social media these days, mm-hmm. and that you just have to figure it out on your own. And I'm glad also too, you mentioned postnatal, um, postpartum anxiety, because actually, you know, longitudinal studies show that postpartum anxiety is actually more common than postpartum depression, but we talk about postpartum depression. So then that anxiety, like you mentioned, not being able to sleep while your child is sleeping, which of course everyone makes the conversation of sleep while they're sleeping. And it's like, first of all, I got six loads of laundry, I got whatever, but even if it's three o'clock in the morning and they're sleeping and you are staying up to to make sure they're breathing or whatever it is that's, you know, the, the racing thought that you have, that is so common. And so it's nice to hear people who are willing to step up more and talk about it to decrease the shame um, and the pressure that we have put on for it. But it is, it's just, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of us, I mean, I knew about postpartum. I mean, I, I still remember my husband asking me like maybe two weeks before the baby came, you're not going to be one of those moms that, that deals with postpartum depression. Right. And I was like, no, I feel fantastic because, you know, I've lived with general 
internalized anxiety disorder my whole life, but uh-huh. like for some reason, the pregnancy hormones made me feel glorious. Like I oh, did not no. struggle. I did not struggle with anxiety. I had zero panic attacks. I, I was not depressed at all. I was very level. And as soon as those hormones dropped, when I, you know, had delivered my son, it was like the house was on fire. Yes. And so, yeah, I, I knew we had even talked about it and he's like, you know, do you think that you need to get a counselor beforehand just in case? And I was like, no, the social worker came in the day he was born and was like, you know, you have anxiety history, like, how are you feeling? And I was still in that oxytocin bliss bubble. Yes. And my baby was still heavily sedated from an epidural. Uh He didn't make a peep and he was sleeping all night. And I was like, this is easy. Like, I'm good. And then we get home and at the first intrusive thought I had was, um, sitting on the toilet, dealing with, you know, postpartum bleeding issues. Yes. Envisioning the sound machine was going to have an electrical fire and explode underneath his crib. Wow. And I just could not. And so I had to rush to go check, mm-hmm. you know, and then I had to move it and literally, I don't remember anything other than like all of my intrusive thoughts, the whole four, four months, honestly. Wow. Yeah. And so now I like to prepare moms, like these are the red flags. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit as a um, licensed counselor, you know, what are some of the red flags that moms can look for and when is it time to not push through? When is it time to seek help or to seek someone that can prescribe medicine? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a great thing to look at. And I think before I go into that is to talk about um, a lot of people who are not a really aware, educated on the topic or have asked about it, think, oh, you know, it's like, it's like when you're pregnant or you're like, it's like when you have your period, right? That cycle of hormones and, oh, I, you know, I have my PMS and da, da, da. And it's like, no, it is exponentially different popping a human out or in my case, Ziploc bagging a human out of you. Like it is exponentially different and the level of hormones that, that come and drop. And, um, and so it is one of those things that it, my first suggestion would be if you have a thought that you think you might need help, do it. (laughs) Absolutely. Give a call shoot me a a DM on Instagram. Even I will help point you in the direction of somewhere, call your post um, postpartum support international coordinator. Just, you know, Google postpartum support international, find your state. There is a coordinator who is, um, who can get back to you within 24 hours. Um, that is first and foremost. Absolutely. If you even have a thought about it, I, I don't know. I know there are some arguments about this and I, and I respect people's different opinions, but for me, I genuinely think that everybody would benefit from having a therapist. And I know that comes from a place of privilege um, because not everyone has insurance, not everyone has disposable income and not everyone has time. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm owning that and I'm aware of it, but like in a perfect world, haha, I do genuinely believe that everyone could use a therapist. And I think no more so than a person who has just given birth to another human being and also their partners too. I mean, that's a huge life change and it's very difficult to go from you, you know, whether or not you doted on your pregnant partner, I don't know, but you doting on your pregnant partner and taking care of that person. And then all of a sudden they've popped out this baby and now their entire focus is on this other human life and your whole relationship has changed. Um, all of that. I think those people also partners, if you think you yeah. might need a therapist, get what, you know, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I just, all of that to say like, that is the first and last pit bit is if there's anything that you think that might be beneficial for you. And I think the answer is yes, everyone could then please look into that. Um, but of course, you know, obviously the it's, it's those e- extreme mood swings, right? So recognizing when you're feeling very depressed or very anxious, um, we're all going to have that because of that massive hormone shift. But if you feel like it's becoming something that is unmanageable, that's mm-hmm. very important to make sure um, that that's one thing, the excessive crying again, you know, you can watch a Pringles commercial and start crying because it was really cute. How, you know, grandpa, how, whatever. I don't know. Um, and I don't know why Pringles popped into my mind. Cause I can't do the last time I had Pringles, but that's what popped into my mind. So here we are. Um, 
And that's normal. Again, that is within the normal limits of having given birth. So I don't want anybody to be like, Ooh, I cry. I, you know, there's nothing necessarily, you know, I'm not diagnosing anybody right now, but here are some, some ideas, but if it's, if it's constant and what you would consider to be excessive, um, I'm not much of a crier, but if I were to start crying more, okay, well, I've just had a, had given birth. That's fine. But then when I really realize I just can't stop crying, mm-hmm. that's definitely something to be looking out for. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, they talk about like bonding with your baby. And I want to, I, I already said it. I'm going to be really honest. I, I love my babies. I think they're wonderful. They're both obviously much older now, but like the newborn stage for me is boring. They, they don't smile at you. They don't interact with you. Like bonding. I I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, you're not bonding with your baby. You've got postpartum depression. (laughs) That is not what I'm saying. I just, I feel like I'm going to have that caveat after every single one, but I don't want anybody to take this and run with it and be like, Meg's just diagnosed me, but, but continual issues with bonding longer term, um, something that you feel is outside of what you would expect to have been normal. But even still, like I said, if it's your first baby, how would you know? Right. Like I think we're all instructed by the world that you pop this baby out, they put the baby on your chest and magically, Oh, this is the most magical human being I've ever seen in my life. And yeah, yeah. the case for you. Yes. And I'm glad we're talking about this because, you know, it was magical when I first, when they first put him on my chest and uh-huh. that was one of the best moments of my life because uh-huh. it's like, you go through so much to get to that point. Yes. But then once we got home, you know, and there's no interaction for seven, eight weeks, none. Yeah. And there, it's just so much pouring in, pouring in. It's a very one way one-sided relationship. Yes. Yes. And of course, as it should be, it's a baby and it's our job to take care of them. But like the, when you get those smiles, Oh, it changes. Yeah. For me at around seven, eight weeks, when he started smiling intentionally, I was like, Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. I feel something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, I I'm not much of a cry. I mostly cry when I'm so furious. I want to break something, which I'm not, I'm not the person who breaks things, but you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I don't really cry very often. And when my firstborn cried, it was about five or six weeks he cried or he, he, he looked me in my eyeballs and smiled. I started crying just like, uh, and I remember the moment so well. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this human being recognizes me. This human being that I have carried and fought for and have been taken care of and has been keeping me up forever. And I'm exhausted and won't let me put him down during maternity leave, but he knows who I am and I have just made him happy. Yeah. It's a very, it was a very big moment for me. Like I said, I cried. And then when my daughter did it, she was, I can't remember. And now I'm feeling terrible. I think he did it at six and she did it at like five. Cause I remember hers was a little earlier. And again, I like, I didn't full on cry like I did with him, but I like the tears were like, you could feel the, the tear jerker. Right. And I was just like, and these tears were falling down. I was like, this is amazing. And so I think that you don't have to have that response. Perhaps you already felt that bond before your child smiled at you. It's one of those things in combination with a lot of other things. If you continuously still don't feel like you've been bonding with the baby is something that could be helpful to have somebody to talk to. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's another thing that I do as a, a, as a part of my postpartum doula offerings. And so if you are in that state where you're like, I know I need a therapist, but I'm so overwhelmed. I know we, I think we might've talked about Brene Brown, but I just started reading her Atlas of the Heart book. That's another book you could put in yes. the show notes. I'm going to write and it down. <laughs> talks about um, overwhelm and the state of overwhelm. And sometimes, you know, as new moms, we find ourselves in that state where we feel, and she just defines it as the, the state that you feel like you're not able to cope, you know, mm-hmm. you may be mm-hmm. functional and coping, but your perception is that you're not coping well. Yes. Yes. And, you know, when someone asks, do you need a therapist or can you, do you, you, my friends were like nudging me, you know, why don't you get a therapist? And I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't even research therapists. That is so, thank you for saying that because I, I feel like, I feel like I've been saying like, oh yeah, give post, you know, postpartum support. Yes, that's exactly right. When you feel so frozen by options, so frozen by what the next thing is, absolutely. And that is when hopefully you've got somebody, a partner, a mother, a sister, a brother, 
a college roommate, somebody who you can just be like, if I may quickly be tangential, but not because you brought it up, overwhelm, right? So I was listening to Brene Brown on Glennon Doyle's podcast with yes, Abby Lombeck and, and sister. So we're going to talk about being blown, which is what their hey. expression was about overwhelm. And Brene in the podcast, which you have heard, but I'm sharing for the family, um, was describing working at, um, I think she was at Papacito's, um, one of the Pappas brothers yeah. restaurants down in Houston. So for my no, Houstonians, no you know what I'm talking about. Um, for those of you who don't, they own a chain of a bunch of very fancy and very important restaurants all around. So uh, all around Houston. So, and she worked there and they had something um, where you would say I'm blown. And that was literally like uh, one of what it's, what is it? The two levels there was like in the weeds, I'm in the weeds. And so if you ran back to the back and said, I'm in the weeds when she was a, a server, then somebody would like, I'm in the weeds. Kate, I need you to run this salad. So-and-so, I need you to put this in. Uh, hey, so-and-so else, can you check and make sure that table sevens, blah, 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 whatever. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. And also I haven't been a server for very long. So my quick recall on that is bad, but you know what I'm saying? I'm in the weeds, like I need help, right? And then the next thing is, hopefully you don't get there, but if you do, is being blown. I'm blown. Like, And then everyone, everyone just like takes all of your stuff and you just leave. Like you're blown. That's it, I'm overwhelmed. And I thought it was really interesting because Brene mentioned... Uh, I'm basically just recapping the podcast. Y'all go listen to it. She'll explain it much better than I did, but I w- I'm obsessed. Um, Brene talked about how after she went in and said she was blown and everyone just, like, no one talks. You just take it and go. Like, I, I got your stuff. You walk at the back and go. And she was talking about driving home from her shift ever, after having just said she was blown. And she lit a cigarette, but then she dropped the cigarette and her pants were catching on fire and something. And, you know, like all of these other things that were much worse than what she was, had just said that she was blown about. And she was like, okay, so I guess I really wasn't overwhelmed when I said I was overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Now I'm overwhelmed. So anyway, that was a tangent. I apologize that, you know, being a server doesn't have anything to do with, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't have anything to do. You could be a server and a parent as well, but, um, but I thought that was really interesting that you brought up the, the topic of overwhelm and you're so right. And so I want to step back what I had said earlier about like you feeling like you have, like you parents should call, you know, PSI, or you should, you know, go on psychology today and find a therapist in your area or virtual or, you know, just even being able to put up your hand and say, I'm blown. Yeah. And, and you don't use really- that example, the, that language, but whatever your expression for I'm blown. Yes. Yes. And, you know, having, maybe, maybe you don't have a postpartum doula that's on your team ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that, like you said, that is a mother, a mother-in-law, a sister. For me, it was one of my closest friends, Haley. She is a, is a really big therapy mental health advocate and always has been for me. And she reached out to me and was like, Katie, you're not okay. It's time. Like, have you considered this? And I told her, you know, I, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't even research it right now. I don't have the time or the capacity. And she, I thank her so much to this day because she put a spreadsheet of counselors together and their co-pays and whether they took my insurance and, you know, what their specialty was. And she called all of them and she negotiated rates on my behalf because oh she my gosh. I didn't have disposable income and she, she negotiated rates with this out of network provider uh-huh. to get them down to uh-huh. a rate that I could afford. So it's lighting scale. Yeah. She scheduled my first appointment for me. And I've been seeing that therapist now for two years on a weekly basis and it's uh-huh. been life-changing. And so, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the one to do it, but if you have someone that you can trust that has the capacity from sleeping eight hours that can do that for you, you know, ask them and it's okay to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of your ability to be a good mom. It's so true. Yeah. And so I also wanted to talk about, you know, the ability to have the resources and the funds to, Mm -hmm. to afford therapy, because I've noticed in Houston, access is a huge barrier, you know, say that there's maybe five perinatal mental health specialists in Houston, they all take insurance. There's a six month wait. Uh-huh. You know, that's not going to work for an emergency mood disorder. That's so right. then you go to the next step, you know, finding a direct access out of network provider that's cash-based. Uh-huh. So usually there's much more availability. You can get in quicker, but you know, a lot of times it's, it's expensive. It's more expensive. Right. 
but the value of being able to access them immediately is, is also a game changer. But I wanted to kind of talk about, let's set the precedent that you're going to need that at the baby shower. And uh, Oh, I just got chills. I just got chills. Amazing. Instead of asking for 27 million onesies and pacifiers and outfits that that your baby will never use, ask your family and your friends, hey, can instead of diapers, wipes, cute toys, plastic things that are going to be thrown in the landfill, how about you, you guys come together and put a mental health fund. And if I don't need it, I use it for postpartum doula. Yeah. If I don't need that, you know, I use it for a massage, something to center the mother. Yes. All the chills. I literally have all the chills. What a genius idea. Why aren't we doing this? Because mothers, when you have a baby mother, the mother is discarded in our culture. Mm Mm-hmm. We do not center the mother. And so my big mission in my work Mm -hmm. is to center the mother, because if moms are well, babies are well, you know, families are well, our community, our earth, everything is well, right? If the mother is the center, uh, or if you're, you know, to be non-binary, the birthing birthing parent. Yes. Yeah. And I I always try to make sure that I say that too. And I, I totally skip that, you know, Kate and I both identify as women. So when we say mom, mama, mother. That's our, that's our truth, but certainly birth parent, you know, um, adoption is love. Adoption is family. Adoption is real. So if you've got the, the, the parent, that was what we're trying to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Yes. 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 And so, you know, and that brings me to thinking about, you know, the, the baby's temperament and the baby, whether the baby's happy and whether the baby's well-adjusted, it's like, you know, so much of that studies are showing is based on mom's mood and mom's adjustment. And does mom smile? And at the baby, does the mom is mom or or birthing parent playing with baby interaction, singing, having, having joyful interactions. And no, you're not, if you're really drowning in perinatal mood disorders, you literally physically cannot. And so, and it's also so much pressure on the birthing person to be that, you know, and so it's sometimes if you're struggling, it's so forced and it takes so much energy to, you know, I was like playing music and trying to sing and like trying to pretend like I was joyful and it, I I did, I felt nothing, you know? And so my only regret looking back is not getting help sooner. And so I'm a huge advocate, like, Hey, if you can't afford it, you know, we can always negotiate. There's always, I know I provide discounts, like a, a certain number of discounts per month. Sure. Um, if I, if someone can't afford my services, I find someone in the community that they can't afford. I connect yeah. them with someone. So, and I know most of us have a heart for that in this industry. And so I just don't want there to be, I don't want there to be a shame barrier mm-hmm. and I don't want there to be a resource barrier because mm-hmm. financial resource barrier, because your well-being as the matriarch of your family is so, so crucial, Mm -hmm. so crucial to your, to your entire family and your entire community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's so important and I appreciate that. And, and absolutely. So if someone gets in touch with me and they'll be like, Hey, do you take my insurance and I need to use it. And if I don't take their insurance, then I always say like, uh, you know, check psychology today, filter by people who do call the number on the back of your insurance card. Um, and see if they will do it. And then if not, let, let's you and I, I will walk you through it as well. And then of course, like, like we we're talking about what community mental health resources are available. I know in Houston, there's the Harris center, legacy community health. Um, and then of course that's very specific to Houston. So those of you who are listening and, you know, Maria mm-hmm. out in Northern Ireland, that's not going to help her, but, um, but you know, anyway, I, uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's important you know, that we are aware of the privilege that a lot of us have by having that access um, and then find that, but there are resources available in certain ways and making sure that we, that we are able to do that. Um, absolutely. So I did want to talk about just a couple more since you had asked a couple of more like kind of the air quotes, well, not air quotes, the diagnostic criteria of postpartum expression. But again, it's, I'm not diagnosing anybody, but I'm just, you know, kind of rounding out the topic um, is talking about you know, how is your appetite? And I think that's something that's very difficult because, 
you know, for those of you who are breastfeeding, chest feeding humans, my appetite is through the roof constantly. I actually wasn't, I'm, I am hungrier now than I was when I was pregnant. Um, cause you're sucking out a lot of nutrients out of your body. Right. right? Yeah. And, um, and so that's something, but, but so that's something that can't even necessarily be a barometer, but it is something to keep an eye out for because your health and nutrition is important. Um, whether or not you've chosen to breastfeed, um, and chest feed, because obviously that what you put in your body helps fuel you. And so that is something to keep in mind as well. Um, insomnia is such a funny one to laugh at because haha, my baby doesn't sleep unless I'm holding the baby. So right. how am I supposed to be sleeping? So, um, but that is something what you mentioned, Kate, about even when your baby was sleeping, you were not able to, you had these intrusive thoughts that were mm-hmm. coming to you. And so that those small peak moments that you actually find yourself being able to put your head on a pillow of some sort somewhere, if you're not able to sleep, then that could be a telltale sign that maybe there's a little more something going on. Um, then, and, and those intrusive thoughts, like you said, um, are, are very important to pay attention to as well. Um, so again, I, I wanted to start and finish that very long. We went off on a lot of different topics, but is that if you think you need help, then please, you know, either if you have the, the capacity to Google it yourself or to look up, that's great. If you don't text your Haley and say I'm blown and let Haley yeah. hear your mouthpiece. Um, God bless Haley, by the way, we all need a Haley in our life, right? Um, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, those are the kind of things that would be very helpful for people to look out for when doing that. Um, yeah. So what else? <laughs> There's so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know and, I said this know, to you when we when we talked about doing it. I was like, I feel like we're gonna have like a six parter. <laughs> easily. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's just something this topic I'm so passionate about, just because you know, I was I was in this state of shock and, and still kind of am sometimes when, you know, why didn't anyone tell me? Like, why are we not talking about this? Like we have access to all this information now. We can Google anything, we have social media, we feel like we're really deeply connected to so many people via social, but we're actually so disconnected because we're only sharing the highlights. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I was blown and overwhelmed and drowning in, you know, all of these struggles postpartum, I was sharing them online because I was like, I want people to know that this is also the side of postpartum. You know, we're starting to see that more online with you know, women wearing their pad postpartum and wearing and having their, yeah. you know, this like snapback culture is non-existent and right. the pressure to bounce back and the pressure to be fully made up day one is like right. very unrealistic. And, yes. you know, we're starting to get rid of some of that um, smoke and mirrors of everything mm-hmm. is supposed to be blissful all the time, but it's still, you know, I, sometimes I get postpartum clients. And I'm like, do you really need me? Like you've been posting all these like outings and adventures and you look amazing. And like, maybe, maybe they won't need me, but they hired me before they had the baby. So like, Uh and I get there and it is not, it is not the case. And so it's like so much pressure for us to keep up and compare with these images that we're seeing. And absolutely. One thing that I noticed when I started sharing some of these negative sides um, because I do want to say like two things can be true. Uh, yes. So, yes. And the, the pressure to always, <laughs> I used to like make fun of this because if I ever complained about my two week old ever, or the experience, people would message me, bombard me with, Oh, but you wanted him. And uh, I even had a coworker tell me when like my first week back, you should have kept your legs closed if you weren't ready to be a mother. And like, no, ma'am. Comments like this are not helpful. I do not have to preface saying, "Yes, oh, but I love my baby. Oh, but I love this. Or, but oh, you have you to, can, or someone's can, going to come for you. You can complain exactly. about your crappy job or things about your job that are crappy. And you don't have to say, oh, but I'm also so lucky to have a job. I'm like, so grateful. No, you just like vent and unload about your negative experience. Mm-hmm. And I've... I, 
I found when I did share those negative aspects and, you know, being in a place of deep suffering, Mm -hmm. the people in my virtual world and in my immediate world were not comfortable with my suffering. No, my gosh. No one is. Oh my gosh. No. It's like when people, you know, when someone dies, like, oh, they're in a better place. Or I remember I had a friend who was a pastor and her son died and they're like, think about the amazing testimony you're going to have. And I'm like, do you feel like that's helpful to me? People are so uncomfortable with the nitty gritty and the raw. And honestly, you and I just met last week. So I, but my very first podcast on this channel um, was about gratitude, virtue signaling is literally what yes, it's I, I listened to it actually. This oh, week did. was like, she is my people. Like I, <laughs> like the toxic, the toxic positivity and motherhood is yes. like, makes yeah. my head explode. It's crazy because, and so you've listened to it and hopefully a lot of the people in the family who are listening to this episode, um, are not, but I, I, I just, it's crazy to me that I absolutely 100% felt the need that I constantly had to say like, Oh, but I'm so grateful to be, I'm so grateful to be a mother. I'm so grateful that I can't, you know, like if I complain about pumping, cause I don't enjoy pumping. It's not, it's not fun. It's a hard oh, plastic thing Who does enjoy sucking it? on my nipples. It's not great. I am insanely grateful. I have 10 gallons of milk in my freezers downstairs. Like I'm insanely grateful. I shouldn't have to preface that every time, but somebody who they couldn't chest feed or their friend couldn't or whatever couldn't produce milk. I'm like, well, I'm not no Tino shade to you. I'm just like, that's also my truth. But it is, it's so difficult. And, and I, you know, I think there's a certain level of like, some people just don't post the nitty gritty because that's not like they, they have their people who they can talk to individually. And like, I'm not going to tell this kid I met in seventh grade and haven't seen since my business and that's fine. But then those of us who do choose to try to share something, it is, you do have to have this caveat of like, like the disclaimer of like, just so you know, I'm just going to put that I'm, I'm very proud and happy to be a parent and I'm very lucky that I was able to carry this baby to tournament. And it's like, I have to have the, the, the dialogue at the end of like, please don't come for me when I'm trying to express myself in this time of need. But instead it's just someone's ready to snap on with either just wait as we were rounding back to the beginning or well, at least you're able to blah, blah, blah. Yes, 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 yes. And yeah, everybody has a different comfort level with what they're going to share. Yeah. And, but I, it just made me realize like uh, most of us are not trained in sitting with the suffering and holding yes. space for the suffering yes. of others. And yes. yes, you know, those of us in the therapy world, we, you know, even in the therapy world, like even in the physical therapy world, not all physical therapists are comfortable. They want to rush right through the hard topics. Whereas yes. I feel like I probably should have been a mental health therapist because I embrace it. Great. Like, <laughs> you know, I share, you know, share it, let it get it all out. And like, we'll just, I'm not going to fix it. I'll just listen. And, you know, picking and choosing where you share those things Yes. during that really vulnerable period you know, you may not be able to share it with your mom, or you may not be able to share it with your partner because they're not comfortable holding space for you and seeing someone they love deeply suffer so much. And so that's why having a support group, or, um, I know here, uh, um, uh, LCSW in Houston, she has a, um, free support group every Tuesday at one. And so if you're listening and you want access to that, it's for moms. And that is a safe space where they are trained to hold your suffering and to hold space for you. And so, you know, look for things like that, or, you know, find a counselor or find a trusted friend that, you know, can, can handle it because when you are vulnerable and, you know, I should have created some more boundaries online for myself, but I I never really learned how to do that. And so Uh I was getting all of these messages about like fixing my baby's sleep uh-huh. and that, cause that was like the contributor to a lot of my stress. And it's right. like, you know, so much information that you feel like you're drinking from a water hose yes. when you're, you know, new at everything. And it's like, so you try everything and then nothing works. And then, you know, two years later, you realize all of that was biologically normal anyway. And yes. so it's like, you kind of have to set boundaries. I talked to one of my, why my Metrosense coaching clients about this recently, you, we have to purge and set boundaries virtually as much as we have to purge and set boundaries in person when you become a mom. Couldn't agree more. 
It's because so actu- yes, everyone has an opinion and everyone has their advice and it's not all going to resonate with you and it's not all going to be helpful. Yes. I do feel like as uh, those of us in like the millennial space, like we we're in such a blessed and lucky age where at three o'clock in the morning, we can Google something and be like, oh, okay, my kid's not going to die. This is a very normal thing. Although to my clients out there, I tell you to stay off Dr. Google, but like, I don't know. Don't, you don't have kids well, just you know, yeah. talk to yeah. a patient, you know, an actual provider, but, but there are so many things that are helpful that it's like, oh, okay, this isn't something I need to panic over. And, oh, okay. That's good information. Oh, I could try that, whatever it might be. But then we also have this, again, I love what you say, drinking from the fire hose of, of information. And it's like, how do I, how do I get still and find my inner parenting voice? How do I figure out what it is that works for me, for my family, for my child. And my, you know, my two children are so different and they're the same, same biological father, same biological mother. I carried them both on. He was born on his due date. She was born five days early. Like I don't have any real mitigating factors and they're so, so different. Like I told you this when we met last week, like he would not let me put him down for 12 weeks. She would not sleep in her bassinet. She wanted to sleep by herself in her room the very first night we came home. And it's like, they're the same, they're siblings, you know? And so not even what works for one works for the other. And so certainly what works for one mother or one parent is not going to work for me. And and it is being able, like trying to figure out how to get still and how to figure out what does work for you. I, I also wanted to go back to touch on what you were saying about holding that space as a professional. I remember in grad school at one of my field placements, um, I, gosh, I was so lucky in field placements to have the most spectacular supervisors. And one of them was like, also listen to me. I just talk like, that's how I talk as a human. But she was like, I, and I know that that's your natural energy. She's like, you just need to learn to let it breathe. Like, I, I would like to send a message to people who are not mental health professionals or perhaps the ones who need a reminder to just let it breathe. Like if your partner comes to you, if you come to your, you know, if your daughter, if your son, if your whomever it is comes to you in a moment of being in the weeds or being blown or just a little, perhaps a tiny bit of upset, right? Just mm-hmm. let it breathe. If you don't know what to say, you can even say that. That's okay. But don't, don't go into the the judging and the shaming and the blaming and the just waiting and the whatever it is, just let it breathe. And even say like, I'm so sorry to hear that. How can I help you? Or perhaps how can I help you is amazing. Perhaps even let me do some research for you. Like your Haley did. You've got Haley, you know, like that's not necessarily somebody's job, but Oh, Hey, may I offer you a suggestion when I felt that way after I gave birth, this really, uh, this really helped me you know, but not like a, you need to do this because this is what worked for me. But yeah, yeah, letting it breathe is I think very helpful for all of us. I'm I'm suggesting that both when you receive information, let that breathe for a minute, take it in. Do I like it? I'm going to keep, I'm going to hang on to it. If I don't, I'm letting it go. I'm not taking on that negativity. And then also on the other way too, if if someone comes to you with that, let it breathe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And one helpful thing, if you are a support person to someone that's given birth, mm-hmm. you know, a partner or a loved one, and they're coming to you and they're sharing their vulnerability and they're suffering and they're complaining and venting a little bit about their struggles. You can even just simply ask, are you wanting me to listen or are yeah. you wanting me to find solutions? Yes. 99% of the time we're, we're just wanting to like, I think Glennon talks about this, like her daughter, when she would, she's like highly sensitive. And when she, when she was little, she was like always wanting to fix things for her. And she's like, no, I just want to sometimes like sit in my own suffering and like share it out loud and process it with you Yep. and let you hear me and still be upset about it for five minutes. And then yes. I'll move on. And I do that with my mom poor, poor thing. I call her all the time with my yes. struggles and she's finally, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 36 tomorrow. Oh, Hey, happy early yeah. birthday. <laughs> so I call her all the time and she used to try to fix, 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 solve, 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 because that's what moms want to do. And now she's just like, now, now she's like the opposite. She's like, uh-huh. Okay. I hear you. I'm sorry. That sounds hard. Okay. Gotta go to Bible study. Bye. <laughs> It's like, wait, no, I actually wanted, I actually wanted some help. Wait, wait, come back. I and, love that though. Yeah. I think that's so important yeah. to be able to say that. I know 
it's so hard to watch somebody that you love suffer and you do want to be able to fix it, which I love that word fix as a therapist. Like, can you fix my child? Can you fix my marriage? Can you fix it's like now? Um, so yeah, being able to say like, in addition to letting it breathe, to be able to say like, are you just needing a shoulder to cry on? Are you just needing a, a listening ear or do you actually want some advice as long as the advice doesn't start with just wait. <laughs> right. Right. And another thing, another helpful thing that um, me and my husband learned in our couples counseling at post baby, we like definitely it's a, the best investment we've ever invested in, in both of our relationships, but we learned something really important when I am overwhelmed or when I am blown or when I'm upset mm-hmm. for him to just look at me his tendency is to want to coach me up because yeah, 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 sports mind. And he wants to coach me up to like, not do that or or to be better next time or to be mentally tough. And I'm like, bro, I just need you to like, see me. And so whenever he sees me being overwhelmed or having an emotional day, he just acknowledges what he sees. Yes. You seem and just name it. You seem upset. You seem angry. You seem frustrated. And that alone, that advice that we learn in therapy alone has been a game changer for us because it's I like, see you. You see me. You <laughs> see me. And I immediately feel better. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up question, just just saying what you see for partners is how can I help? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. so simple. Yeah. And it might be like, oh, you can't, or I don't know how you can help, or can you unload the dishwasher or can you prep a bottle? Like, right. I, I don't want to have to tell you how you can help me. I was know? okay, girl. I was just about to say, and something else that for me, everything you just said. And also one thing for me that I found that I talked to my husband about and God bless him. Um, he knows it and hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing our business, but I, I've said that to him before. Like what's frustrating to me is that I feel overwhelmed that everything is my responsibility. So when you come to me and say that I appear to feel some sort of way, cause I appreciate too, when he doesn't try to tell me how I feel, but like, you don't seem super cheerful. Like what, how can, you know, how can I help? Like, okay, but just look around. Like, yes, take initiative. Do you see that dryer full of clothes that's done. <laughs> do I need to tell like, Right. And God bless him. He's amazing. We, he live, he's married to a social worker. So we are constantly talking about communication and love language and, um, uh, emotional, um, emotional labor and, you know, so good bless. But like, but yeah, I think that's the thing too, is like, Hey, why don't I take the baby and I'm also going to get this ready. And why don't you maybe go or whatever it might be that you might be able to help offer a solution. I think that that's something that definitely can be very difficult too, as a parent. I don't know if, if it is with everybody. I find it to be a lot in my experiences individually with my girlfriends and my friends who have partners. And then also with a lot of my clients, um, not everyone's experience is the same, but it does kind of seem to be like the birth parent is the one who runs the ship. Yeah. I have some friends that have unicorn husbands and, you know, Uh that are very maternal and nurturing Uh and anticipate their needs and all of that. But I don't, I don't find that in humans that identify as male. I don't find that that is uh, the common and I don't like right. to generalize, but it just, I say we're, I, I, we're generalizing and I'm painting with a broad brush and I'm, I'm owning every moment of that. I'm just saying like in yeah. my experiences, yes, in my experience. And so, you know, one thing, another really good book um, recommendation is fair play by Eve Rotsky. Okay. And I read the book when we were having these, these conversations and struggles. And I, there's also a card game that comes along with it. And oh it's basically um, managing the mental load. And it makes it a game. And so you cut out these little cards or you can buy the cards um, online and it's literally a hundred different tasks and categories, household tasks, personal, childcare, um, anything you can imagine that you're, that we're usually managing in our brains and it's all out on the table, literally figuratively and literally, Yes. and you get to delegate. Okay these are the things that I'm responsible for. And so when we did it, my husband was responsible for his personal hygiene. 
mm-hmm. because he couldn't understand like why do you feel like you're overwhelmed like I do stuff too like why do you, I don't I don't of get course. it and, and, and that's so, very valid for his experience of course yes and so when we played that game he was responsible for his personal hygiene meaning he showers of course yeah. he was responsible for being my life coach uh-huh. Who knew? I learned that that day. Uh-huh. He also was responsible for our four month old or six month old, however old he was, babies, athletic events and activities. Okay. And I was like, I'm so glad that you're coordinating his athletic activities. Great. He's not involved in anything. Okay. He's a baby. And so. Yes, he's going to be quite the prolific badminton player. Yes. <laughs> when he saw all of the tasks on my plate, he was like, light bulb. Like he just needed to visualize it because like me making, really? it, but because we made it a game and it wasn't like attacking, yes, it was yeah. kind of like playful. There was no yes. hard feelings about it. And so I was like, is there anything on this table that you would like to take ownership for? And in the book, she talks about, you have to be able to conceptualize the task. Yeah. You have to be able to execute the task and you have to be able to complete the task. You can't just conceptualize it and not complete it. You got to do the, the whole shebang. Yes. I really love that activity. And I think that's important that you mentioned it too. Like it's coming from a place of where can you meet where you're not defensive, right? Because if you can have that conversation, we've got like gone off on a tangent into couples therapy. I love it. Um, I it's, it's meeting in a place of being not defensive, but in a place of wanting to support your partner. And in so doing perhaps learning your partner's experience is not if you can do it, both of you from a non-finger pointing, I was actually speaking to a client earlier today where something crazy happened and it was a very emotional situation. And he's like, well, I don't want to be mad at her. I don't want to be And I'm like, you don't have to be mad at her, but you can acknowledge that you had a lot of feelings about it. I don't want to give too many details because it's very mm-hmm. specific, but just generally like it doesn't have to be someone's fault. Let's be solution focused. I I, I practice in solution focused brief therapy as best as I can. I'm not fluent at the language yet, but I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't need to be finger point, finger point, finger point. You haven't been doing this. It's what would you like to do moving forward? What could, right? And thank you for acknowledging the past that had been the problem. Sure. But we don't even need to talk about the problem because we're talking about the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps people to be more receptive to these conversations. And instead of coming at it defensively of like, see, you don't do anything. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, yeah. Recognize how much I do do. And sorry, Chandler being, I can't. And then, um, sorry, I, you're, I'm never going to pass up a friend's reference. I can't do it. I'm so immature. Um, and then move forward from there. So that was like our little couples therapy moment. And I love yeah. it because you do have to co-parent. You do have to live together. And it is so easy to build resentment. So easy because you're like, not to, it's it's an effort not to. Yeah. I read something, um, one day that it was like having a baby is like throwing a grenade into your healthy relationship. Sure. sure. So even if it's like healthy, it's still a huge life altering, you know, everyone is sleep deprived. It's a huge adjustment. Roles are changing. Expectations are changing. And your communicated expectations, here's like another Brene thing that I was reading about in her book, yes. you know, a disappointment is usually the result of, of non-communicated or uncommunicated expectations. That's exactly right. Yes, as I say, it's impossible to be successful if you don't communicate. It's impossible to not build resentment if you are trying to read each other's minds or it's impossible. You, the communication piece is... Yeah. And so when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to like also be delegating. Mm -hmm. And so here that, you know, that would be a great gift to give at a baby shower as well, because then they can play, the couple can play the game before the baby comes and tasks can be delegated Uh even before. And again, very solution focused because we haven't even had this baby yet. So I'm not telling you you're not doing it because neither one of us are doing it yet. Right. Great idea. So, you know, in, in, in our relationship, we don't have any gender roles. Like you can cook and you can clean yeah. as well oh, as yeah. I can, like you're yes. equally capable and I work full-time, you work full-time. Our yes. roles are very equal, yes. but he, he just didn't know what I was doing because I was like a little elf doing it when he wasn't <laughs> home and like yes. it just magically happened, you know? Uh-huh. And so we discovered that like, he loves to do grocery shopping. Great. I hate it. Same. 
Same. Yeah. Like he loves to do laundry. Perfect. I absolutely dread doing laundry. So we actually discovered like there's strengths and weaknesses in even our household management that, you know, he can, he's like, it only takes five minutes. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It does. But that five minutes on top of making bottles and cleaning bottles and prepping for the next day and all of the things that we have to do in the evening time to get ready is Mm -hmm. almost unbearable. And so if you can just do that, it's great. And so I think having those hard conversations in the beginning before you're in the weeds in your relationship is really, really helpful. And I just want to normalize the struggles of new parenthood and in your relationship because, um, and people are like, I remember my family members were like, oh, you have to sleep in the same bed. Like you, you and the baby can't sleep in another bed because that's like an omen for your relationship. I'm like, okay, well, one of us has to go to work and like, you know, there's no normal for, for sleep situations for families families across the world. I remember Googling how do families sleep across the world when I was like a week postpartum, because I was like, surely I don't have to have this pressure to like all three of us be in the bed or, you know, there's no normal when it comes to that. You do what works for your relationship and what works for your baby and what works for your sanity. And yeah, I want to normalize like the, the struggles and you have to kind of figure it out on your own without judgment of people in your immediate circle. I think if we could live, if we could function non-judgmentally, most importantly to ourselves, like preach to everyone, self-awareness and non-judgmental, but also just like stop judging each other. It would be so amazing. I will give one quick anecdote on the sleep thing. And then we will, I will promise I will let you go because again, we're going to have to do sections two, three, four, five, and six. Um, so just go ahead. Let's get that on the calendar. No. Um, but yeah, so I remember this is well before we were even trying to have kids. I don't even think we were married yet, but, uh, my husband is a gymnast in his sleep. He, when he rolls over, it is kick, 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 kick that, that sheet out from underneath of him. And I swear, like, you could look at me. I look like I'm in an earthquake. Like I'm moving in the bed. Those of you who are just on the podcast can't see me doing this, but those of you who are watching the video, like I'm literally shit. I, the bed is moving. Um, and he used to always steal the covers. And so we decided like, Hey, and also I'm always cold and he's always hot. So like you sleep with a sheet, I'll sleep with a blanket. We'll just lie them underneath or lay them down underneath the comforter and cover them with a comforter and life will be amazing. And it worked for us. And this woman was just affronted. She was plucked. Oh my gosh, you are not going to survive your relationship. This is like you said, like an omen. She didn't use the word omen. I can't remember, but it was just like a signifier that our relationship was doomed. And I was like, why is sleep romanticized? Uh, take me back to I Live Lucy. I would love I to. Yeah. I would love it. And it does not have anything to do. Like, I'm going I'm to kiss you goodnight and then I'm going to come sleep over here. It doesn't matter. It does not matter to me. And it's so okay. interesting how much pressure we put on sleep when without a baby, sleep is so important. I remember when he keeps me up in the middle of the night, I wake up mad at him in the morning. Oh, and then, it, right? And so, and like, and I am aware at least enough to be able to be like, not, truly angry at him because he didn't do it intentionally, but I'm exhausted because he's kept me up a lot of the night. Why then? So, but, but by all means, please tell me that I need to stay in the same bed with him because that's going to ruin my relationship. And then you throw a baby into the mix, which I'm not here to discuss sleep. I don't, I am not a sleep expert. I'm not giving advice on sleep. I'm, this is my caveat. This is my CYA. I'm not talking about it, but I'm just saying like, some people do co-sleep. Some people don't co-sleep. Some people sleep all three of you in one bed just the mom, just that I'm not yeah, giving suggestions, yeah. but I am saying everyone just mind your own dang business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the pressure that that puts on a new mom that is struggling is yes. unbearable. I mean, I tried like 72 different sleep situations because I felt pressure from all these different people having opinions yes. about it. And ultimately we decided on what works for us. And now my two-year-old calls it mommy's bed and calls the other room daddy's bed because when you live with someone that snores like a freight train and works odd hours, Mm -hmm. it's very disruptive. And so, you know, this works for us. And I have to say, (laughs) not for one second, did I think, Oh, Kate's marriage is in trouble that, Oh no, the baby thinks, you know, what's going to be great is that your child is going to grow up and think that it's completely normal for parents who are madly in love and good partners and good co-parents to sleep in separate rooms sometimes. And that's okay. 
Yeah. And I just want him to have like my son and everyone, but my son, especially to have permission to find ways and to explore ways that are breaking the mold and that, that work for him, you know? And so the shame and the pressure and all of that just, it has no, no, no space in our family. I think that is kind of the conclusion of this, this section of Kate and Meg chat is I think like, just do what you need to do what works for you. And we need to throw off society stereotypes and expectations, and we need to be okay with walking in what would have been shameful of talking about mental health or not being the perfect mother and not being, you know, the Duchess of Cambridge, although I, I adore her, but like, you know, having to come out a day after you've given birth and she had a team and God, I'm not coming for her, but like, that expectation is there because she's part of the royal family. She had a staff who helped her get there. You don't need to be like that. And that's okay, right? Like, yeah, it's a, just and do you do what works for you and your family. As long as you are all safe, why is it any of my business? <laughs> yes, I agree. And I think that, that we could talk about that on episode number two, the whole outsourcing piece and the staff piece. I'm writing it down. Yeah. I would love to go into more detail on that because, um, yeah, sometimes you're comparing yourself to someone that has a whole staff, but doesn't disclose that they have a whole staff. So, yeah. I mean, look, money makes a difference. We talk about privilege and I have a lot of it, but I don't have a lot of money. And I certainly don't have someone doing my hair and makeup. So like, you know, and I, you know, and that's fine. And that's super, super fine. And and all of the other things. Yes. I'm not even going to go into it. We're going to talk about yes, it. Yes, too. Yes, I have yes. it written down. Um, Kate, I just, I can't thank you enough. What a treat for me. I've just enjoyed myself. Like this is me wonderful. Too. I feel like I've been listening to Glennon. I have the same energy that I get and the same feeling I get when I listen to a new episode of Glennon and that Abby. Do not make me cry. <laughs> that is like, that is like the, I can't take, I can't take a compliment like that. I, I, I encourage people to take compliments. That's just amazing. I, so I'm going to accept it so graciously as much as I can. I'm going to literally cry. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to know, Kate, I want people to come find you. Where can the family find you on Instagram? On What's your website? All of the, plug everything, plug it away. Yeah. So uh, my Instagram is Enso Mama, E-N-S-O Mama, M-A-M-A. And if you're curious about the name, I'd love to talk about it because there's a meaning behind it. And then for the website, it's just ensomama.org, O-R-G. And you can actually book a discovery call. It's free if you want to know more or figure out if there are ways that I can help support your family. Amazing. Okay. Well, I've already literally got a list of topics for our next one. I'm going to put all that information in the show notes, as well as your book recommendations. Maybe I should start making guests do that too. Like come prepared with a list of book club. Disc- no, I'm just yeah, no, I love that when podcasts, you know, do yeah. share that. Yeah. Cause I always go back and look, look at the show notes. Well, that's how I also find a lot of podcasts too. So when Glennon tells me to do something, I usually go and do it. Same with, same with Brene. And again, okay. I know that, you know, they, they function in a place from their views as, you know, white cis women, but that I'm a white cis woman. So I do relate to that. I think they operate outside of that too, but, um, I love being able to hear recommendations. I think that's so helpful. And I'm going to go and get some of these. I love the fair play. Um, and I love, 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 love. I'm just going to say it again, baby shower, mental health fund, genius chef's kiss. Amazing. So Kate, thank you so much for your time. We're going to end it here and everyone, um, be prepared for the next the next one, it's coming. <laughs> Stay tuned. Have a good night. Stay tuned.